Hello and welcome to COS Live. You can watch the original video broadcast live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. Visit conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's COS Live. Hello, COS supporters. Welcome back to another edition of COS Live. My name is Andrew Lush. I'll be your host for this episode. And I'm joined by Rita Peters, who is my co-host, but she's also the Senior Vice President for Legislative Affairs. Rita, it is a pleasure to be back with you. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Andrew, trying to just keep it calm, even though I'm so excited about the simulated convention that's coming up, of course, next week, hosted by Convention of States Foundation. And so I'm busy preparing for that and just super excited about it. I am so excited as well. Like you said, we are one week away from the simulated convention, which is put on by Convention of States Foundation. So exciting. And that's going to be the theme of our episode today, Rita. We are going to be looking at some of the constitutional amendment proposals submitted by our grassroots. This is going to be so exciting because we put out a request for all of our grassroots to submit their own proposed to propose their own amendments. And this was something that was so cool and so unique. We are pulling our supporters and grassroots into the amendment, uh, into the kind of the amendment proposals, yeah. which is so cool because they're going to debate these amendments that our grassroots proposed at the simulated convention. That's so that's super exciting. We had 300 plus amendment proposals that were submitted by our grassroots. So we're bringing on Paul Phillips to talk about some of these amendment ideas. And Paul, he's a part of he's one of your legislative assistants. So he's going to give us the the, the good amendments, the better amendments and the best amendments that we uh, that we received from our grad grassroots. So stick around also for the COS Live mailbag. We're going to be answering some of your questions. Make sure that you are uh, typing questions right now at the beginning of the program so that we can answer them at the end. Uh, but first, we are going to go to Mike Ruthenberg, who has our Article 5 trivia giveaway. Mike, over to you. Thank you, Andrew. Wow, what a great day it is. What a great summer it is. Hopefully you're in a place that's not cooking too badly right now. It's certainly not too cold for too many people that I know. And I'm excited to join and be here for Article 5 Trivia. I'm also really eager to hear about the amendments that you guys came up with. What a cool idea. What a cool way to go. Because those will be called those will be cultivated. I'm not going to steal the show or anything, but we have a special use in mind. Stay tuned and you'll find out. But now I'm going to test your knowledge on Article 5. And when I do, I'm going to give away actually our most popular item in the store. So if you haven't been to shopconventionofstates.com, if you haven't shopped at the store, I recommend you go there. But if you're the one who gets the question right, then you are going to win this package of 10 COS Pocket Guides. This is the gold standard for information about Convention of States. We have people all over the nation, you're probably one of them, that either reads them and is super compelled by them, or you collect them and you give them away to people that you know are serious enough to take a look and want to know all the answers. One little hint is the answer to today's question is contained somewhere here in the pocket guide. So. Hopefully you have one handy or you just know right off the top of your head because you've been watching and sticking around so long. So here we go. It's an important point to make in Article 5 of the Constitution. There's two ways to propose constitutional amendments, but only one of them has been used. 
And this requires a two thirds vote of Congress in order to put forward an amendment to the constitution. What's the other way? There's my question. I have a feeling that your fingers are madly going on that keyboard typing the answer. We'll see the notes flying, which is also fun. Please continue to participate as you hear about some of the amendments and some of the cool things that are coming up eight days from our COS simulation. So today we're going to give you a preview of the upcoming simulated Article 5 Convention for Proposing Constitutional Amendments. It's happening next week, hosted by Convention of States Foundation, and many of us will be on the ground there in Colonial Williamsburg. Now, this is a citizen-driven project. It doesn't happen without the American people standing up, speaking up, and showing up. Abraham Lincoln once said that he preferred the convention mode of proposing amendments because in that case, amendments do arise from the people. So it only makes sense for COS Foundation to ask normal, everyday American citizens what solutions they want the states to debate and vote upon. There were about 350 citizen submissions for the upcoming simulation, which commissioners will be presented with. And to help us break it down, because that's a lot of submissions, y'all, to help us break it down and preview what amendment proposals could make it out of committee and onto the convention floor next week, we're joined by my legislative associate, Paul Phillips. Paul, thank you for joining the program and helping us weed through some of these submissions. Thanks, Rita. I'm happy to be here. Now, Paul, you drafted a great article, which is available at conventionofstates.com, and it's called Grassroots Proposed Amendments. And it's basically a report on this project where we asked our grassroots to submit their ideas for the simulated convention. We're going to show some graphics, and while Producer G gets those graphics up, just give us a rundown. Where did these amendment submissions come from? And maybe tell us what the top state was. Sure. Uh, so there were 367 proposals uh, from our grassroots, and they came from 41 different states. And the first place state, you'll be happy to hear, Rita, is your home state of Virginia. Uh, they had submitted 50 proposed amendments for our consideration at the simulated convention. Go Virginia. <laughs> um, Paul, can you tell us a little bit about the subject matter of these amendments? What, what did you see? Were they mostly for restraining executive power or federal power? Did you see term limits? Uh, did you see anything related to putting spending caps on Congress? Right. Give us a little bit of like the particulars of how it broke down with submissions. Sure, Andrew, the, the, the largest area was actually limiting uh, legislative power um, of the federal government. So Congress, that was, that was about 41% uh, of the proposals were in that area. 22% uh, came in second with limiting executive power. So really a concern that um, the federal government is, is doing more than it should be more than its um, constitutional powers, which is by definition tyranny and abuse of power. That's right. 
Now, Paul, we can't review all 300 and I think you said 367 amendment ideas. We can't go yeah. through each of them, but you're here to help us just sort of sample some of them. We are going to discuss what the author might be trying to accomplish in a few of these proposals, whether that amendment is needed, and what effect it would have on our systems of governance and on the common citizen. So we broke the proposals down. You broke the proposals down for us and organized them into three categories, which correlate with the three committees that our commissioners will work on at the simulation itself. Let's start with term limits and judicial power. And I wanna look at submission number four. No member of the House of Representatives, the United States Senate, or the Supreme Court of the United States shall serve more than 12 years in any one of the legislative or judicial branches of the federal government, or more than 15 years in any combination of the legislative and judicial branches of government. Upon ratification of this amendment, any incumbent member of Congress whose tenure or term exceeds the limits established herein shall complete the current term, but thereafter shall be ineligible for further service as a member of Congress or the judiciary. Paul, this is a fascinating idea. Mm -hmm. Tell us in your own words exactly what's going on here and what problem does that present a solution for? Well, uh, as you're both aware, in, in our polling, term limits often comes up as the most popular uh, idea for, for an amendment. And this does a real thoughtful job of, of laying that out, uh, restricting uh, you know, 12 years in the Senate, 12 years in the House, or 12 on the judici judiciary, but preventing somebody from doing 12 years in the House and then 12 in the Senate by placing that 15-year cap overall. Um, so it allows a little flexibility uh, where someone can serve in both houses, but, but does set a realistic limit on their terms of service. And when today we, we look at uh, legislators with uh, 30 and 40 years of service, um, I am really excited about the prospect of this proposal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, Paul. I have submission number 16. And again, these are from our grassroots. These are from supporters who submitted amendment ideas to be debated at the simulated convention. So I have section one, the Supreme Court of the United States shall be composed of nine uh, members. Section two, no person shall be appointed to the Supreme Court more than once and shall serve at most for 12 consecutive years. This article shall not apply to any person holding the position of Supreme Court justice when this article was proposed by the state legislatures and shall not prevent any person who may be holding the position of Supreme Court justice during the term within which this article becomes operative from holding the position of Supreme Court justice during the remainder of such term. So, Paul, what problem do you think this citizen is trying to uh, to to fix? Like what, what is their goal with this amendment idea? Uh, there, there are a couple of things here, and, and this is just an excellent example of how thoughtful our grassroots are with these uh, amendment proposals, you know, thinking through some of the consequences here. So number one, they're wanting to limit the Supreme Court to 12 members, and, and this will uh, prevent uh, 
a, a push, which we have right now, to expand the Supreme Court in order uh, maybe to dilute uh, the power of the court. So it, it's been at nine members for quite a long time, works very well that way. And I think it's a great idea to constitutionally set the number at nine. Um, as far, far as the terms, I, this is something that I think is pretty popular. And I, and, it, and I think it's a problem across our federal government is, is we have people who serve too long. So a term limit of, of 12 years with the Supreme Court, I, I think is a great idea. Um, as I said, this is pretty thoughtful, so it's not going to apply immediately to any of the current members. Um, but one of the issues to be worked out, though, uh, would be to set up the terms in a way that it, that's a little more uniform. So if, if we impose the, you know, a 12-year term immediately on the Supreme Court, we'd probably be replacing most, if not all, uh, of the justices. So, so exempting them uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, so many of the proposals like this I've seen have, have staggered uh, the terms uh, of the justices to prevent uh, one president from having too much power in appointing uh, maybe a majority of the court. Mm. Yeah, so because term limits, especially term limits on Congress, is so popular with our grassroots, I want to I pitch you another um, term limits proposal to take a look at. And it's term limits and judicial power submission number 27. I want to talk about section one, which says members of Congress shall serve no more than three consecutive terms. Members may run again for two more terms after leaving office for four years. Senators can serve no more than two consecutive six-year terms. Senators may serve one more term after being out of office for four years. Under no circumstances shall a representative serve for more than five terms and senators serve for more than three terms. Paul, this is kind of a unique take on term limits, and maybe it could be a middle ground for legislators who aren't a big fan of strict term limits, because we, we all know that a lot of legislators just don't like term limits. So this has been dubbed the rotation solution in the past, sure. which constitutionalizes the founding principle of rotation in office. What are your thoughts on this, Paul? Yeah, I, I really like this. In fact, th this sounds like a hybrid. So the rotation in office, to me, harkens back to the Articles of Confederation, where uh, members of the Confederation Congress could serve no more than three out of any six years. So it, in a sense, forces legislators to go make a life in the real world for a little bit before coming back to be legislators. So maybe they can feel what it's like to be a, a citizen. And the other thing that I like about the rotation in the office is it breaks the power of incumbency in elections. So incumbents have, I think it's like a 90% reelection rate. It's really re easy to get reelected if, if you're an incumbent, incumbent. You can bring back uh, pork barrel spending to your district to make people happy and want to vote for you. Um, you have the power of your office for mail and marketing. Uh, so the rotation in the office breaks that advantage. Um, but this also uh, puts a lifetime limit of three terms. 
so that's where I say it's a hybrid because mostly we hear like a lifetime limit. If you can serve 12 years or something like that. Um, in the Articles of Confederation, there was this rotation, but you could serve as long as you wanted, as long as you took the three years off uh, every so often. Um, so I like this hybrid version that there is also a lifetime limit on how long you can serve. All right, Paul, we're, we covered several term limit submissions. Now we're gonna move over to uh, amendment ideas that focus in on fiscal restraint. And this is a very interesting one that I'm gonna to pitch to you. This is submission number 36, fiscal limitations on and prohibition on subsidies. So it's very interesting. Section one, starting five years from ratification of this amendment, no federal monies raised from the citizens of the states can be given nor reimbursed, subsidized, refunded, incentivized to any person or organization except in the exchange for goods, services, or services previously rendered. So section two, starting 10 years from ratification of this amendment, the federal government may not provide food, shelter, clothing, healthcare, insurance, or goods of any value to any person other than government employees who actively provide a service to the government, retired government employees and military veterans. So Paul, this is a really interesting one because at least for me, we talk a lot about the crippling debt that we have. We talk a lot about how Congress just spends money so frivolously, but this is an amendment proposal that actually puts some details on the bone and some meat on the bone of how we can start curbing some of that spending. So uh, why do you think this person chose to write this amendment proposal in this, in this way? And what benefit do you see uh, for you know America's future if this were to become an actual amendment to the Constitution? Yeah, this is one I'm really excited about. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of looking to uh, the states and their constitutions uh, as, as uh, maybe experiments on what works and what doesn't. Uh, what most people don't know is about two thirds of the states have a prohibition on subsidies in their state constitutions. Uh, so this would take that practice to the federal government. And if, if you can think of all of the uh, subsidies that the federal government does, I mean, they subsidize oil companies, they subsidize the ethanol industry by requiring it uh, to be in our gasoline, they subsidize uh, farmers. Um, and not that any of those is a, is a bad thing and, and not something we want, but it, it certainly disrupts the free market and it leads to a lot of excess spending and, you know, I talked about the power of incumbency in the previous amendment. It's a powerful tool for people who are already in office to incentivize their constituency to put them back in the office because they're helping to subsidize their industries. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's look at another fiscal restraints proposal, Paul. This is number 37 in the fiscal limitation categories has to do with repealing the 16th amendment which i've got to point out was a hugely popular proposal for our grassroots so let's look at this one section one the 16th amendment and all laws associated with the progressive tax system are hereby repealed section two congress shall have the power to lay and collect a flat tax not to exceed 15% on incomes from whatever source derived, personal and corporate. Section three, all federal expenditures shall be specifically tied to one of the limited federal responsibilities specifically enumerated in Article I, Section 8 of the Federal Constitution. Section four, 
the public debt shall not be increased except upon a recorded vote of two-thirds of each House of Congress. Section 5, every appropriation for programs or projects will contain a sunset clause of three years, at which time, if it can be proven that the expenditures are accomplishing the desired outcome, the appropriation may be reauthorized. Paul, you are a finance guy. You're a finance expert. I'm not, but I like a lot of the ideas contained in this one. Tell us what you think the citizen who submitted this idea had in mind, and what are your thoughts on those ideas? There's a lot in there. Yeah, they were really swinging for the fences with this one, and I like that. <laughs> Um, it, it's really a combination of elimination of income tax, a balanced budget, uh, and, and reauthorizing federal agencies to get them out of things they shouldn't be doing. So this is a very powerful uh, proposal. So let me start with the 16th Amendment. For those that don't know, what the 16th Amendment do, did, well, actually undid, was a provision in the uh, original Constitution which required the federal government to apportion uh, to each state any any taxes on incomes or things like that, which, which meant it just had to be proportional to the number of people living in the state. Uh, the 16th Amendment, Amendment basically enabled the uh, tax structure, federal tax structure that we have today. Uh, it's interesting to note the 16th Amendment was passed in 1913. So for um, prior to that, a longer period of our history the federal government did not have the power to tax our incomes or states or gifts. So uh, removing that would be very powerful in, in shrinking the government um, by re reducing their revenue. Um, you know, if, if, if you want to go on a diet and lose weight, you got to eat less. So <laughs> what the federal government eats is money. We give them less money. I think they're, they're going to get healthier and, and get down to a more appropriate weight. Um, so I, I really like the, the idea of that. Now they talked about replacing it with a flat tax, um, which would be a consumption tax or a national sales tax. So um, if you don't want to pay federal taxes, just don't buy anything, I guess. But um, that, that seems to me uh, to be a more appropriate way. Uh, we don't want a disincentive working, which is what an income tax does. And um, I, I would be excited to see the results if we got rid of the 16th Amendment and taxes on, on incomes. Um, this amendment also uh, contains some balanced budget uh, language, which um, nearly all of the states have a balanced budget requirement. There are, there are a handful that don't. Um, I really like the language uh, that was in this one requiring a two-thirds vote to increase the debt. Uh, that is actually uh, the balanced budget language that's active in my state, in Indiana's constitution. And um, sometimes you get a balanced budget pro proposal that says you can't spend more than you take in, except in an emergency. And so th then the question becomes, what is an emergency? Who declares an emergency? I think at any point in time, we, we can find uh, half a dozen or a dozen declared federal states of emergency that you know could be used to, to to wipe out that kind of amendment. So I really like the two thirds vote in here. It's kind of self enforcing. Um, 
And then, then finally, the, the other part was reauthorizing uh, federal agencies, and, and, and this could apply to the Department of Education, the Department of Energy, uh, the Department of Health, all of these kind of things that the federal government does that it shouldn't be doing. And, and the author keeps referring back to Article 1, Section 8, which lists the things that the government is authorized to do and harkens back to let's check that list before we decide that the government can spend money on it. So I know I went a long time on this one, but it, it's really three or four amendments in one, and it's very strong. Yeah, yeah. And I like that. Let's check back and see what what Article 1 enables us to do before before we go ahead and spend money on it. Um, Paul, I'm going to sneak in another one, uh, another short one real quick. And this is moving on to the third topic of limiting federal legislative and executive power. And it's Proposal 19. No bill shall include more than one topic, nor shall it appropriate money for more than one department of the government. It's very simple and to the point. It sounds a little bit like something Michael Ferris has floated recently. Can you tell us, first of all, Paul, why brevity might be a plus when it comes to writing a constitutional amendment proposal? And then tell us why this might be an attractive idea for commissioners. Sure. So I'll start with your uh, brevity concept here. This is nice and short. Um, and in general, most of the amendments to the Constitution are short. The, the median word count, I, I forget which amendment it is, but it's around 50. So about half of the amendment of the 27 amendments are less than 50 words. I think it's two thirds of them are less than 100 words. This, yeah. this proposal uh, might be the shortest amendment. And uh, less words, I think, means less potential for misinterpretation of the language by the courts, um, you know, short and sweet and simple is better. And as far as the, the amendment proposal itself, I, this is something, I'm gonna sound like a broken record here. This is something you'll find in most state constitutions. Uh, it, it's in my state in Indiana that bills must be limited to a single subject. So imagine um, what that would do to these two and 3000 word bills that are are dropped on the legislators overnight and they don't have time to read them. And it's got everything in the kitchen sink thrown in these omnibus spending bills. If everything had to be limited to one topic, um, and here, here's something I like to throw out, you know, Senator Rand Paul <laughs> is famous for his Festivus list of um, grievances against federal spending. So here's one that he found. With this amendment proposal, if you wanted to spend a million dollars to study the effects of cocaine on the mating habits of Japanese quail, and I didn't make that up, you'd have to do that in a standalone bill and everybody would have to vote for it. Things like that today appear in these omnibus bills and, and nobody sees it. You, ju you just get this big stack and our legislators, it, it's unfair to them. They're forced to choose and say, hey, there are five or six really important things to me in this bill and everything else I'd probably vote against, but I'm not going to get these five or six things that I think are good unless I vote for all the garbage. Yep. Um, single subject. This could be one of the most powerful uh, amendments that comes out of the convention uh, because realistically, one of the most important attributes of a proposed amendment is it has to be ratifiable. 
And that, that means we're gonna have to find 38 states that agree with it. And, and as I said, most states have this in their state constitutions. And I think that makes something like this highly ratifiable. Yeah, I, I love right, that idea. It's Sorry. very short, very simple, and yet would have a huge effect. So I love it. Sorry, Andrew, go ahead. Oh, no, you're fine. Uh, I got another short one for you. I was just really excited because I love this one. Uh, I got another short one for you. Again, this is limiting uh, the legislature and executive power. The federal government shall have no authority to regulate education, including by the use of federal funds. So another short one. This would really touch the heartstrings of many parents right now. What do you think about this amendment proposal? Well, absolutely. Uh, you know, the federal government has no business regulating education. You know, and it's clear it's not anywhere in Article 1, Section 8. And um, things like this, like education, are best kept closest to the people and, and leaving this to the states and local governments and getting the federal government completely out of it, including uh, bribing um, state uh, education departments with federal funds. I'd, I'd be all for this one. And, and this is one also, I think, may fit in the category of being ratifiable, that it, it's, it's one that uh, most people would support. All right, I have one final amendment proposal that came from our grassroots. Uh, this one is number 30. The federal government shall have no authority to compel health care or to regulate health care, including by the use of federal funds. I mean, this would essentially kneecap, you know, any any type of program that's already been passed by the legislature uh, or the by Congress, wouldn't it? Yeah. And and I would just say ditto all the arguments I just gave you about education. Healthcare, it belongs to you. I mean, the best person to make decisions about your health is you, uh, not some bureaucrat in Washington, D.C. Um, so this is another great one that I think fits in that highly ratifiable category. Mm. So you can watch the upcoming simulated Article 5 convention live on August 4th. That's when all of these amendment proposals and ideas will be debated. Uh, which amendments will be debated upon? We're not sure. The legislators or the delegates who are going to be there are going to pick which ones that they're going to debate and try to pass. Uh, maybe some of the ones that we talked about today will be debated uh, at the simulated convention in Colonial Williamsburg, Virginia. So register. Make sure you register for the free simulated Article 5 convention at www.cossimulation2023.org. Again, that's www cossimulation2023.org. Paul, thank you so much for joining us today and weeding through some of these amazing uh, amendment ideas that, was, that were proposed by our grassroots. Again, you said several times that they were very thoughtful and thorough. So thank you for kind of giving us a, a, a preview into what we're going to see on August 4th. Well, thanks for thanks, having Paul. me. Um, this just uh, juices me up. I'm very excited to see both of you at the simulated convention next week. Thanks, Paul. All right, we have our Article 5 trivia giveaway answer with Mike Ruthenberg. Over to you, Mike. All right, thanks so much for covering that ground. What a fun and interesting way to spend a little bit of time learning about some of the amendments that you guys thought about and what they are, how it is, 
and how we're going to be able to put those forward to our incredible commissioners that are putting together their time, many of them, their resources to be able to participate in the historic convention for proposing amendments. So anyway, that might have been a little bit of a hint towards the answer of our trivia question today. If you recall all the way back at the beginning of this meeting, my question, my Article 5 question of the day was, in Article 5, in Article 5, there's two ways to propose amendments to the Constitution, but only one has been used. And that way requires a two-thirds vote from Congress. What are the, what's the other way? Well, of course, you probably know a convention of states, a two-thirds vote by a convention of states. And when that happens, then those go on to ratification the same exact way that amendments proposed in the first method by our Congress. So our Congress can propose amendments as well as our states or a convention of states can propose amendments and then they get ratified the same way. What a great way to make sure that the federal government doesn't take control. And you know, one of the things I also wanna mention real quick is if you didn't win our pocket guide, which is what we were giving away to the first person to answer this question, you can go to shopconventionofstates.com. But I also want to let you know a little bit of history behind the second method. Just two days on September 15th, 1787, George Mason stood up and it's hot, it's summertime. These guys are, you know, been working real hard to put our constitution together. And he stood up and he said, um, to point out one might, our government might become oppressive. And that's why the people need a lawful way to bypass Congress to get the solutions we wanted. And that's why the Convention of States process even happened because George Mason stood up and it's so popular. It was so clear that what we need to do is give the states the ability to amend the constitution and not just the Congress to avoid any type of runaway from our federal government to be able to restrain any power that they would never restrain of themselves. And it was unanimously voted in to our constitution without any discussion, which is pretty rare, even in those hot summer days in Philadelphia. And that's why our movement is pressing on. Convention of states, we're at 19 states. We got 20 pending uh, a legal issue that needs to be cleared up in Kansas. If you're not clear on that, go to the conventionofstates.com slash Kansas and learn a little bit about what they've got going on there. It's pretty darn cool. And we're over halfway there and together we're going to use the tool the founders gave us to restore America. So that's my part for the day. Now you guys get to go back to the stars of the show. And that is the people that come in every week to help you guys with Convention of States. Back to you, Rita. Thanks, Mike. Now it's time for my new favorite segment of COS Live. It's the COS Live Mailbag. These are messages and questions from viewers like you. So if you wanna be featured, you have to drop us a comment on YouTube, Facebook, or Rumble. So I'm gonna read just a couple of these today. First, we have Sebastian Porcina. Sebastian says, I learned something new from Rita and Andrew. Rhode Island 
has stayed out of the Constitutional Convention and even abstaining from the simulated convention of 2023. Yes, that is correct, Sebastian. Rhode Island was not at the Constitutional Convention of 1787 and unfortunately is not going to be represented at our simulation in Williamsburg either. We are sorry that Rhode Island has to miss it this year. Our next comment comes from Not Fake News of PA 386, and this comes from YouTube. Not Fake News says, we are putting our lives and money on the line to save the Republic. That's right. Thank you so much to all of you watching who are involved in this effort to save the Republic for future generations of Americans. All right, Rita, well, we're going to have to leave it there. Um, please, to all of our audience, submit us your questions and comments at the beginning of next program so that we can get into the COS Live mailbag and answer your questions. Uh, we're going to sign off, Rita, but we'll see, I'll see you in Colonial Williamsburg next Tuesday. We'll do an on-the-ground report in Colonial Williamsburg. I'm very excited about that. You're definitely also not going to want to miss the Friday live stream of the simulated convention. If you haven't registered for that yet, please go and register. Go to www.cossimulation2023.org. Again, that's www.cossimulation2023.org. Make sure that you get registered to watch that live stream. Well, Rita, we've got a country to save, so it's time to get back to work. Thanks for joining us. This has been the podcast version of COS Live. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod. Thank you for listening.